All right, I hope that you enjoyed that special music this morning. Good morning, and I welcome you to Calvary Baptist Church of Indola. This is our Bible study for today, uh, 26 April, and uh, today is Sunday, and we're very happy to be able to be uh, gathering as a church, even though we're gathering at our homes today. We hope that you will enjoy our Bible study today. I hope that you've brought your bulletin that was delivered to your house yesterday, uh, as well as a pen or a pencil in your Bible. Those are the things that you will need for our Bible study today. And today we'll be studying the Tabernacle Altar. This will be in Exodus chapter 27. So go ahead and open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 27 and uh, get your bulletin ready, uh, get your pen and your pencil ready, get your Bible ready, and we'll begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for this beautiful day that you've given to us. We thank you, dear Lord, for this great country. We thank you, dear Lord, for the leadership. We thank you for President Lungu and the ministers of Parliament. We ask for your blessing upon Zambia. And Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing upon Calvary Baptist Church this morning. We pray, dear Lord, that you'll be with our members no matter where they are, even if they're in the States. We pray, dear Lord, that you'll watch over them, that you'll bless them. And Heavenly Father, as they participate in this Bible study, I pray, dear Lord, that you will open their eyes to the wondrous things within your law. We love you, dear God, and we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you, dear God, for giving us salvation through your Son. We thank you, dear Lord, for your Holy Spirit who helps us to understand your word. And we pray, dear Lord, that today during our Bible study that you'll help us to understand the things that we study. Heavenly Father, please bless us. Heavenly Father, please draw us closer to you. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So in your Bibles, you're in Exodus chapter 27. Exodus chapter 27, we're going along with the theme of the lessons we've had here in Exodus. We are looking at the tabernacle that Moses was instructed to build. I hope that you still have your lesson from last week that had that nice diagram of the tabernacle there on the paper. Uh, you might want to refer to that a couple of times today, and so keep that nearby if you have it. Remember, you can always pass by the church, and in the church over on the wall by the back door, we have a nice big poster up of the tabernacle. Of course, it's a human drawing of what we imagine the tabernacle will look like as we follow the instructions that were given in God's Word. But there's a lot of information there. So if you happen to be passing by the church, and if Brother Mevin is there, you're welcome to go inside the church and look at that poster, uh, just for your own edification and for your own knowledge. Well, let's start with our lesson today. And we start off with number one. Why was God so specific about this earthly tabernacle? According to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, the earthly tabernacle was just a copy of the, do you remember what we said last week? This is a question from last week. It was a copy of the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. The true tabernacle, which is in heaven. You see, God wanted them to be exactly the same. If we were to turn in our Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 8 and look at verses 1 through 5, the word of God there says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Verse 5. Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. 
For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. So the answer for number one here is it is a copy of the true tabernacle which is in heaven. We go on to number two. This true tabernacle is where Jesus offered his, what did Jesus offer for us? Yes, if you said blood, you are correct. Where Jesus offered his blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary for our sins. This is the payment that was required to cover the sins of the world. In your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 12. The Bible says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And so we see that it, in answer to number two, this true tabernacle, the one that's in heaven, is where Jesus offered his blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary for our sin. Now think about it. When Jesus died there on the cross here on this earth, his blood was gathered. And when he died, he physically carried that blood up into the tabernacle, the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. And he entered into the place where only the high priest could go because Jesus Christ, it says in verse 11, became our high priest of good things to come. And he took his blood in and he offered that blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the, the covering over the Ark of the Covenant. And Jesus offered his blood there for the sins of the world. So this is the payment that was required to cover the sins of the world. Now remember, only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, and only with pure blood for a sin offering. The high priest of Israel did this once in a year. First, he would offer a sacrifice for his own sin, and then he would carry in the blood of a sinless lamb, a lamb that had no blemish, that had no spot. It had to be a male of the first year. It had to be a perfectly healthy specimen. And he offered that blood for the sins of the children of Israel once a year. Let's go on to number three. If we were able to visit the Old Testament tabernacle, once we entered through the outer gates into the courtyard, the first thing that we would see would be the altar. Of course, our lesson this week is about the altar that's there in the courtyard. And so if you have your illustration from last Sunday, the one of the complete tabernacle, if you'll look at that right now, you can see that as you entered from the outside in through the, in through the curtains into the courtyard, you can see that the very first thing that your eyes would fall upon would be this huge brass altar. All right, so the answer to number three was the first thing that we would see would be the altar. Write that down on your uh, paper this morning. Let's go on to number four. The altar was a reminder. The altar was a reminder to them and to us that we are not worthy to approach holy God without offering a blood sacrifice for our sins. Always a blood sacrifice is required for sin. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the exact reason why a works-based salvation just doesn't work. Because it's not a blood sacrifice. Baptism is not a blood sacrifice. 
Keeping the law is not a blood sacrifice. Church membership is not a blood sacrifice. Only the pure and innocent blood, the sinless blood, can be offered as a sacrifice for our sins. And so all of these works cannot compare to the pure blood of Jesus Christ. The word of God says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Very good. Now, let's go on to number five. And number five, I want you to Open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 27, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. This is where our lesson was supposed to take place this morning. And so Exodus chapter 27, and let's look at verses 1 through 8 as we start to learn about the altar that was there in the tabernacle courtyard. Have you found Exodus chapter 27 yet? Well, then read with me verses 1 through 8. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood. Now, shittim wood is also acacia wood. And here in Zambia, we have acacia trees. So you might be familiar with that. Of course, in those days, the acacia trees were very large. So you could get big pieces of wood from these trees. And it says these pieces of wood were supposed to be five cubits long and five cubits broad. And the altar shall be four square. That means it shall be a perfect square the, the sides are all equal in length, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. Now remember from one of our previous lessons, a cubit is roughly 50 centimeters. It's about 45 centimeters actually. But uh, you can take 45 centimeters and multiply it times five, and you can see what the length along one of the sides of the altar would be. Uh, you can uh, multiply 45 centimeters by three, and you can see the height of it. And it gives you a good picture, especially if you look at the picture that's there in your bulletin, of what the altar looked like. It was very, very large. Let's go on to verse two. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horn shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. And thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes, and his shovels, and his basins, and his flesh hooks, and his fire pans, all the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. Now, verse number three is talking about the tools that they would use in completing these blood sacrifices. Uh, there would be pans that they would place underneath the altar to catch the ashes. There were shovels to move the fire around and to scoop out the ashes and to scoop out the coals and move them from one place to the other. There were basins. The basin is like a bowl, and you would use this to collect the blood from the sacrifice. Uh, there were flesh hooks. These were uh, three-pronged hooks, which you could use to put into the meat to move the meat around on the altar. And then fire pans. This is how they would carry the the embers and the coals from one place to another to start the fire in the altar. Okay, verse four, and thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass, and upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. So this grating is the part uh, that where the uh, sacrifice was actually laid. It was a lattice work uh, so that the fire could pass through and consume the offering without the sacrifice falling through down into the fire. Verse 5, And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. And thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shittim wood, 
and overlay them with brass. Again, remember, this had to be portable. And so that's why they had the staves that would go into the rings so they could pick up this huge wooden and brass altar and carry it from one location to the other. Verse 7, And the staves shall be put into the rings, and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was showed thee in the mount, so shall they make it. So the altar was roughly about two and a quarter meters squared. That means two and a quarter meters on one side, two and a quarter meters on the other, two and a quarter on the other, and then two and a quarter on the other. It was a square, and it stood roughly 1.4 meters tall. It was made of acacia wood covered with brass, so it was very heavy. Now it was placed elevated on a mound of dirt or of stones so that the pans mentioned could be slid underneath to collect the ashes for removal. So what they would do is they would put stones or earth in four places and then they would place this altar on those so that they could put the pans underneath so that, that as the ashes fell through, it would fall into the pans and they could then remove the ashes. Now look at the picture that's there in your bulletin. Can you see the grate there in the center? You see all those little squares? That's the metal grate where the fire would be underneath and then where the, um, where the sacrifice would be placed on there. Do you see the horns on the altar in the corners? Sometimes the sacrifice would be tied to those horns and then they would kill the sacrifice right there on top of the altar. Then do you see the staves, also called a staff? You see how it passes through the four rings so that four men could pick that up and carry it from one place to the other. Now, whenever you see brass or bronze in the Bible, it is a symbol of God's righteousness and God's judgment. Okay? So make a note of that, maybe even write it someplace in your Bible, that whenever you see brass or bronze in the Bible, typically that is a symbol of God's righteousness and his judgment. If you turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9, the Bible says there, And God, well, it says, And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld or looked upon the serpent of brass, he lived. You remember this happens a little bit later on. Uh, while the children of Israel are on the wilderness, the children of Israel had disobeyed God and they had done many uh things that, that God was not pleased with. And so God sent fiery serpents uh, among them that would bite them and that it would cause people to die. And so God instructed Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole on a cross. And whenever someone had been bitten by one of those snakes, they could look at that serpent of brass and then that person was healed and he lived. Once again, brass is a symbol of God's righteousness and his judgment. Okay? Number six, let's look in Leviticus chapter six, verse 13. Turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter six, verse 13. Leviticus chapter six, verse 13, the Bible says, the fire of the altar shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. So can you figure out what the answer is to number six? The fire in the altar was to always be kept, what would you say? I think it is the word burning. The fire in the altar was to always be kept burning so that there would be no delay if someone wanted to offer a sacrifice. 
Number seven, let's go to Exodus chapter 29, verse 38. Let's learn something else about the altar. Exodus chapter 29 and verse 38. Exodus chapter 29 and verse 38. The Bible says, Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. So let's look at this question. The Hebrew children made what kind of sacrifices to Jehovah on the altar? What did verse 38 say? It said they offered two lambs of the first year day by day. So what about the word daily? Let's use the word daily in this sentence. The Hebrew children made daily sacrifices to Jehovah on the altar. Very good. The answer is daily. Now remember that these sacrifices were not to forgive sin. Okay? These sacrifices did not forgive sin. These sacrifices were to teach the people, the children of Israel, that there was a penalty for sin. There was a blood penalty for sin. If the sacrifices could forgive sin, then they would not have had to do the sacrifices over and over and over. The Bible in the book of Hebrews says that Jesus' payment for sin was once for all. And we'll look at that a little bit later today. But Jesus' sacrifice that he made for us was sufficient to be done one time and never to have to be done again. Let's go on to question 8. Question 8. Exodus chapter 29 verse 37. Look at Exodus chapter 29 verse 37 in your Bibles. The Bible says, Seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be holy. So, what do you think the answer would be for question eight? Whatever touched the altar became what? What do you think there? If you said the word holy, you are absolutely correct. Whatever touched the altar became holy. All right, at this time in our Bible study, it's time for our first clue for the prize for the chocolate bar for this week. Who will be the first two people who will text Pastor Andrew with their name and the two clues to earn the chocolate bar for this week? The first clue is the word promise. The first clue is the word promise. So write that down somewhere, maybe on your paper, and then listen for the second clue during the sermon. And when you have both of the clues, text Pastor Andrew with your name and the first clue, which is promise, and the second clue, and if you are one of the first two people to text me that information, you will win a chocolate bar that you will receive next Saturday. Now remember, only one person per household or one person per gathering can earn that, okay? So it can't be two people listening together on the same device and both of you text me at the same time. Uh, only one person per household or per gathering, but the first two who send me the two clues will earn a prize. All right, let's go on to number nine now. Other names for the altar included these names. Let's look these up. Exodus chapter 39, verse 39. Exodus chapter 39, verse 39. The word of God says, The brazen altar and his grate of brass, his staves and all his vessels, the laver in his foot. So the altar is also known as the brazen altar. Brazen is spelled B-R-A-S-E-N. So the brazen altar, and brazen just means brass, 
or bronze, okay? The next name for the altar is in Psalm chapter 43 and verse 4. Psalm chapter 43 and verse 4. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. So what does David call this altar of the tabernacle? He calls it the altar of God. Very good, the altar of God. And then lastly, let's look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 and this have ye done, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. And so the in Malachi chapter two verse thirteen, the brazen altar, the altar of God, is also referred to as the altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord. Let's go on to number 10. Number 10. Exodus chapter 27 verses 9 through 19 describes the court of the tabernacle. This is also called the courtyard of the tabernacle, but we'll just call it the court. And this is the area within the linen fence and outside the tabernacle building or tent. If you have the diagram from last week, you can see this very easily. Around the perimeter of the tabernacle was the linen curtains that kept out prying eyes and kept the inside workings there private. And then within that, you had the altar, you had the laver, you had the sacrificing tables, and then you had the structure, which was the tabernacle building or tent. So the first thing that you would see within there is the court of the tabernacle. The altar was within the court of the tabernacle. And Exodus chapter 27, verses 9 through 19, describes that. Let's go on to number 11. Number 11 Exodus chapter 27, verses 20 through 21. These are the last verses, and it says to light the candlestick. Remember, this was the candlestick that was within the tabernacle. It's also called a menorah. Can you say that word with me? Menorah. That's what the seven-pronged candlestick is called. The, to light the candlestick, the menorah, within the tabernacle, they used olive oil for fuel. Okay, did you get that? The word is olive oil, and they use that for fuel. Okay, very good. So that concludes our Bible study for today. Um, if I went too fast and you missed some of those answers, if you look on the very back page of your bulletin at the bottom, you can see that all of the answers are given there at the bottom of the page, so you can fill that in and make sure that your paper is very complete. We want to conclude our Bible study today with a song. And so this is In Christ I Stand by the Wilds Men Group. I hope you enjoy this song this morning. Savior lifts my eyes to behold His saving.
Thank you for listening to our Bible study this morning. Uh, Please stay tuned, and we will have our announcements in just a few moments.
Good morning and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church of Indola. We're very happy that you're with us today for our podcast. And this is for our 26 April Sunday service. And these are our announcements and prayer requests. The song that you just heard was called You Are My All in All. And the pianist was Miss Valentina Boven. And this was actually a person who Bonajuda met while in Michigan in the United States the last time we, that we were there. Uh, this is a very accomplished pianist, and she gave Bonajuda a CD of her recordings. And th- so we thought that we would share that with you this morning. To start off our, our morning service today, we'd like to ask you just to take a moment to reflect to the Lord and to spend some time in prayer and to prepare your heart to be blessed during the service today. So we just want to spend a couple of moments now in quiet prayer, each and every one of us just quietly speaking to God, clearing our thoughts, clearing our minds, and preparing ourselves to be ready to receive His Word uh, as we hear the preaching this morning. So just where you are in your home, just right now, if you'll bow your head and very quietly speak to the Lord and ask Him to bless you through the sermon, through the preaching, through the Word of God that you will hear this morning. Father, we come before you today, and we thank you again for another beautiful day here in Zambia. We thank you for the good health that you've given to us. We thank you for this great free country in which we live. We thank you for President Lungu and for the ministers of Parliament. We pray, dear God, for their salvation and for their wisdom as they guide this great country, especially during the midst of this crisis. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and although we cannot gather in your house, we gather with our hearts together to worship you, to sing praises to your name, to glorify you. And Heavenly Father, we've come for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts today. Heavenly Father, please help us to not be distracted during the preaching time. Heavenly Father, help us to be of one mind and one heart as we gather in unity here today through the internet. And Heavenly Father, as we hear the word of God being preached, please speak to our hearts. Please convict us. Please encourage us and give us the strength to move forward. We love you very much, dear God, and we ask your blessing upon this day. May all glory and all honor go to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take our our song sheet, and you'll see we have two songs for today. Let's go to the bottom one at Calvary, and let's sing this song together this morning. Uh, At Calvary. All together now.
Amen. What a good song that is. That is just fantastic. And so let's go on to our announcements. If you'll open up your bulletin, well, actually, it's on the front page of your bulletin this morning. Uh, the announcements that we have in our very first announcement is that services for this week will be canceled. But within the bulletin that you hold is a paper discussing the topic of when you think we should open the church building for further services. I'd like you to read that paper. I'd like you to read it thoroughly. Inside the paper, I put my own thoughts about what we should do. But you have to understand, uh, the pastor is not a dictator of a church. Uh, he needs to consider what the members think. And then using their advice, he needs to make a uh, considered a, an, an educated uh, decision uh, for the way that the church should go. And so we're going to put this to the church to see what the church thinks about this topic of opening up the church for further services. Now, please read it. And then you can cast your vote. And on the paper, it tells you a couple of different ways in which your vote can be cast. But please remember, if you vote yes, that you do want to open the church and hold services there again, following the president's restrictions, please remember that that means that we can count on you to attend once the services are being held again. Please don't vote yes, and then don't attend. Because here's the way it's going to be. We're either going to have one or the other. We're going to continue doing podcasts with a bulletin and all of that, or we're going to have the live service at church. We're not going to do both. So um, once we open the church again, as long as the church is open, the podcast will finish and there won't be any bulletin sent out. We'll have our normal services, our Bible study, and our preaching service there at the church building. So read through that paper, pray about it, and then send me a text message and tell me what your vote is or drop off your ballot there at the church to Brother Mevin and he'll take care of that. I do want to remind you that your tithes and offerings still need to be given to the Lord. Uh, you can take those, you can seal them into any envelope you want, and you can leave them there with Brother Mevin at the church. Now, during this time of difficulty, during this time of, of lockdown and home residence, God is still being faithful to us. In our church, there's no one who's sick with this uh, COVID-19 thing. God is being very good to take care of us, and we should be faithful to him. That's very important. We want to offer our congratulations to Jonathan Chibuye and Changu Banda for listening very carefully last week to the sermon in the Bible study, and they each won a chocolate bar. And those chocolate bars were delivered to their house yesterday. Uh, in the case of Jonathan Chibuye, of course, he's in Lusaka, and so we delivered the chocolate bar to his house, and I'm sure that his sister Karen will keep that chocolate bar in safekeeping and that she won't test it or taste it to make sure it's not going bad. Uh, of course, that's between Karen and Brother Jonathan, and I hope that Brother Jonathan gets a complete chocolate bar next time he visits Indola, but we will have to see about that. If you want to earn a chocolate bar, all you have to do is be one of the first two people to text me your name and the two clues that are given during the Bible study and the preaching time. One is given during the Bible study. One is given during the preaching time. And once you get those two clues, you text me your name and the two clues. And if you are one of the first two people to text that to me, then you are a winner and you get a chocolate bar. Now, the condition is uh, it can't be two people out of the same family or the same group that's listening. But uh, we want to give everybody a proper chance. And so if you are one of the first two, then I am happy to provide you with a delicious, creamy, sweet chocolate bar of your own. 
As far as we know, there have been no illnesses related to the coronavirus at our church. We praise the Lord for that. Uh, please remember to pray for one another and let us know if someone falls ill. Please be in communication with one another. In our church, we have four widows. Uh, send them a text message. Stop by and visit them. Uh, make sure that they are being taken care of. Uh, that's important in our church that we do such things and that we take care of one another. And please always take proper precautions to protect yourself from illness. Right now, if you go into a business, President Lungu says you have to wear a mask, so make sure you do that. Um, make sure that you wash your hands as often as possible and make sure that you keep your distance from people. Uh, we're seeing some illnesses here in Indola in different areas, and so this illness is coming and uh, we need to take proper precautions to make sure that we don't get sick. So let's do that and let's also remember to pray for one another. Okay, let's take our song sheet out and let's do the song at the top of the paper. There is power in the blood. There is power in the blood. Please sing together with the group who's with you at this listening, whether it's your family members or your friends, but let's all sing together from our song sheet, There is Power in the Blood. Alright, we come now to the time for our prayer request for today. I want to thank all of you for praying for Bonna Judah. As you know, uh, last week, well, the week before last, her mother passed away. And then on the day of her mother's funeral, her auntie passed away as well. So thank you for praying for uh, Bonna Judah during this time where she lost her mom and her aunt. Uh, your messages of condolence and your prayers were very well received. And we thank you very much for that. We want to remember to pray for one another for the safety and good health for all Zambians during these times of uncertainty. Uh, remember to pray for your loved ones. Remember to not just pray, but to take the precautions to try to avoid getting sick and spreading that illness to others if possible. We want to be praying for the vulnerable people of Zambia during the coming days. Uh, these are the people who are HIV positive. These are the people who are very elderly. These are the people who are quite a bit overweight, uh, people with blood sugar problems, with BP, uh, with respiratory problems, uh, problems with asthma or something like that. These are the people who will be most susceptible to this COVID-19 illness. So make sure that you pray for them. Make sure that you protect them. Uh, a person who is in that category should not be doing any traveling. They don't need to do. Uh, they should stay as isolated as they can and as safe as they can. So let's remember to pray for our vulnerable people here in Zambia during the coming days. 
A few weeks ago, uh, Brother Stephen Sakala told me that he burned his leg by accidentally uh, spilling some hot water on it. Uh, and so he's slowly recovering from that. I've been praying for him, but I've not put it as his prayer request here in the bulletin yet. And so uh, we've done that for today. So please remember to pray for Stephen Sakala and his leg at this time. Uh, please remember to pray for Brother Benali. Uh, he's still waiting to have that work done on his teeth. He can't do that because the hospital is not taking. good that was hallelujah for the blood by the john marshall family from their album the glory of children our family enjoys hearing recordings by the john marshall family uh, they do a great job in praising our lord through song i wanted to start off our service this morning uh, it's time for our sermon but before we go to our sermon I wanted to tell you a story that I heard about just recently. Apparently, there was this young man who had grown up out in the bush. He had three or four brothers or sisters, but uh, he was able to go to university. He was able to get a really good job. And it came time for his mother's birthday. And boy, he wanted to give his mother something wonderful 
for her birthday. He wasn't going to be able to be with her uh, personally, so he was going to buy her a gift and send it to her, but he wanted to make sure that the gift was better than anything that his brother or his sisters could find for her. So he searched and searched for the perfect gift, and finally he found it. It was an African gray parrot. But it wasn't just any parrot. This bird could talk. And not only could this bird talk, this bird could speak several different languages. He could speak Bimba, he could speak Tonga, he could speak Lozi, as well as English. And his vocabulary was over 40,000 words. Not only that, but the bird could also sing. And so the brother bought this bird for his mom. It cost him five million kwacha for this bird, just for his mom's birthday. But he thought, surely this will be better than anything that my brother or sisters can get for his mom. So he bought the bird, he mailed it to her uh, to be delivered on her birthday, and he was so excited about it. The day after her birthday, he called his mom and said, Mom, did you get my birthday present? And she said, oh yes, that was a wonderful, wonderful bird. He said, did you like it? Did it say anything to you? She said, well, the bird tasted delicious. And he couldn't believe it. His mother had cooked and eaten that valuable bird. He said, Mom, I can't believe you did that. I paid five million kwacha for that bird. It spoke four different languages. It had a vocabulary that was huge. It even knew how to sing. And the mom said, well, I guess he should have said something before I cooked him. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've never had anything like that. But I have seen some very interesting gray parrots here in Zambia. But I haven't met one that could talk yet. In your Bibles this morning, please open up to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 28. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 28. The title of our sermon this morning is Jesus, the payment for our sins. Jesus, the payment for our sins. Now, I hope that you have your bulletin, which has the sermon inside of it, and then also your pen or pencil and your Bible. These are things that you need if you're going to be an effective student of the Word of God this morning. Your Bible, a pencil, your bulletin, and opened up to Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 28. Now if you get the opportunity, please sometime this week also read Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10. These are amazing, wonderful chapters out of God's Word, and they go right along with our sermon today. If, if you've not ever really seen the blessing in Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10. After you hear the sermon today, I think you'll find that passage illuminating. I think you'll just find it very, very interesting, and I think it'll be a blessing to you. If you found Hebrews chapter 9, please follow along as I read verses 11 down through 28 this morning. The word of God in English says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, 
that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Verse 21. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Now, verse 22, that's a very important verse. I hope you'll take notice of that one. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. These two verses are talking about how Jesus Christ's sacrifice was one time for the sins of the whole world. Verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we love you very much, and we thank you, dear Lord, for the time of singing. We thank you, dear Lord, for the time of, of announcements, the time of Bible study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for promising to meet with us, because you promised in your word that where two or more are gathered in your name, there are you in the midst of them. And Heavenly Father, although we're not gathering in your house today, there are two or three of us gathering at this time, some in this place, some in that place, but we know that you're here with us, and we welcome you. And we ask you, dear Lord, please speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Please speak to us through your word today. Heavenly Father, convict our hearts, encourage us, and show us the way we should go. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses, 11, verses 15, verses 16, verses 17, it talks about this testament. Do you remember what a testament is? Look at verse 15, 16, and 17. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. Of course, we know the Bible is broken up into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But do you remember what a testament is? It's a will. It's an agreement. And the neat thing about the testament or the will of a person is that it only has authority after the death of the testator. That's the person who made out the will or the mediator. That's also the same person. Look at verses 15 through 17. And for this cause, Jesus is the mediator of the New Testament, or the new will, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament, remember a testament is also called a will, for where a will is, 
there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. We, in our family, we've experienced that even this week because, as you know, Bonajuda's mother passed away um, last week. And so at, after her death, they found her will and they opened that up and they read it. And that gave her last wishes that she had before her death. But the fact is, while she was living, that will had no power. Because up until the time that she died, that will could be changed. But once Bonajuda's mother passed into eternity, that will became a valid legal document with all the power of the court behind it, and it could not be changed, and it was now aggressive and, and powerful in its testamentary uh, capacity. And so a, a will only becomes active after the death of the testator. And the covenant that Jesus made with us only became active when he died on the cross and shed his blood. Now, the Bible also talks about the tabernacle. This is not talking about the earthly one that Moses made. This is talking about the true tabernacle, which is in heaven with God. Remember, the earthly one that Moses made, it was just a pattern. It was just a shadow or a copy or a symbol of the one that is permanently in heaven. And the Bible says that Jesus took his blood to the true tabernacle in heaven and he offered his blood there on the Holy of Holies for a sacrifice for our sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 5. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Now who do you think this high priest is? If you said Jesus Christ, you're absolutely correct. Notice in verse 2 it says, This is the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched or built, and not man. Verse 3, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Look at verse 5, Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So in these verses we can see that the earthly tabernacle that Moses built there in the wilderness and that they used for worship until David built, well, until Solomon built the temple, this tabernacle was just a pattern of the one that is permanently in heaven even today. And then it talks about this high priest. You remember the high priest for uh, Moses' time was Aaron. This, this person, when he offered the sacrifice in the Holy of Holies, he must be sinless. That's why Aaron had to offer a sacrifice for himself immediately before he offered the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the nation. Aaron would offer a sacrifice for himself and then immediately he would go in to the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for the children of Israel for the sins of the nation. And the Bible says here that our high priest, Jesus Christ, he is the genuine high priest. He is the perfect high priest who is able to offer himself and his blood 
as a sacrifice for the sins, not just of the, the Jewish nation, but of the entire world. Look in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. It's speaking about this pure, this true tabernacle that's in heaven. This is the tabernacle not made with hands, not of this earth. Christ is the high priest of that tabernacle. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. He's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. You see, Jesus was uniquely qualified to be our high priest. Jesus is sinless. His blood is perfect and powerful, and it is the appropriate sacrifice for the sins of the world. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. It says, For such a high priest became us, who is holy, that's Jesus Christ, who is harmless, undefiled, that's Jesus Christ, separate from sinners, he's not a sinner, and made higher than the heavens. All of these words describe our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 27, Who needeth not daily, as those other high priests, to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's, for this he did once. How many times, ladies and gentlemen? For this he did once, when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. And so it was our high priest, Jesus Christ, who carried his blood, which was shed on the cross of Calvary, into the Holy of Holies in heaven, and offered it there on that altar as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 22. We're, we're going to see there, I'm sorry, not Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews 9, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. You see, the Bible tells us here that blood must be shed to seal a covenant. It must be shed for the covering or for the remission of sins. You say, Pastor Andrew, why is it so important that blood must be shed? Because do you remember where the Bible says that life is in the blood? Jesus gave his life his blood for the sins of the world. That's why our works are no good. There's no blood in our church membership. There's no blood in our baptism. There's no blood in the keeping of the commandments. Every sacrifice that covers sins, that is for the remission of sins, must be by blood. The Bible says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You see, Jesus did not use the blood of bulls or goats like the earthly high priest would do. Instead, he used his own precious blood. Because look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. It says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. You see, it's not possible that a, the blood of an animal could 
remove sins. Now, the, the yearly sacrifice, it covered sins for a year, but it was not sufficient to remove the sins. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. That it says that other bloods were not sufficient. They were unable to remove sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect or complete or sinless. Verse 2, for then would they have not would they not have ceased to be offered? Question mark. Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here, if this sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats, if it was able to make them perfect and to completely remove their sins, wouldn't the sacrifices cease to be offered? Yes. If it was able to remove sins. But since it could only temporarily cover sins, these sacrifices had to be offered year by year. You see, these sacrifices could only make the Israelites ceremonially clean. They could only cover sin for just one year. That's why every year on the Day of Atonement, the priest had to go in again and offer sacrifices for the sins of the nation of Israel. Now, the Bible tells us that Christ's sacrifice for us offers eternal redemption for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, what is it? Eternal redemption for us. Ladies and gentlemen, do you remember the meaning of the word, word eternal? Does it mean temporary? Does it mean for a thousand years? Does it mean for a, for a set amount of time? No, ladies and gentlemen, eternal means forever. It means without an end. And Jesus' blood is able to cover our sins. It is perfectly adequate. It is perfectly formulated. It is sinless. It is able to cover the sins of every single man and woman on this earth. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. doesn't just cover us, it cleanseth us. You know, the idea that you get when you think about Jesus' blood covering our sins is the word to blot out. Imagine you write a note to someone and you want to get rid of that note. Well, you can take a rubber and you can try to rub that note away, but, you know, there's still going to be something left. If you hold it up to the light, you're still going to be able to see it. You could also take your pen and you could scribble over it back and forth, up and down, all over it. But the truth is, if you hold that up to the light, if you look at it, you might be able to see what was written there. But now imagine if you take a whole cup of ink and you pour it all over that paper. That ink soaks through that paper so that all you can see is black ink. That is how Jesus' blood covers our sins. It forgives our sins. It wipes it away completely. It cleanses so that nothing can be seen ever again. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, 
Look at verse 19. Ye were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Ladies and gentlemen, he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. No blemish, no spot, no sin, not a bone broken. He was the perfect Lamb of God. And it is his blood that was the only acceptable sacrifice for the sins of the world. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, the Bible says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins. How? In his own blood. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 says that his blood puts away our sins. Verse 26 it says, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Our sins and the sins of the world he put away by the sacrifice of himself. The payment for sins once made was made once for all. This is why a person, once they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, never has to be saved again. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of our past sins, all of our present sins, and all of our future sins. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, Adam's sin was covered, Eve's sin was covered, David's sin was covered, Abraham's sin was covered, Elijah's sin was covered, the Apostle Paul's sin was covered, Judas's sin was covered. Do you hear what I say? Judas's sin was covered. Pastor Andrew's sin was covered. My grandchildren's sins were covered. Your grandchildren's sins were covered. Those even not born yet, their sins were covered. What remains is for a person to receive this payment. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the world. And he did one sacrifice. And that one sacrifice was sufficient for all the sins. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which we will... I'm sorry, let me read that again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. Hebrews 7, verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sin and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. When he was finished, Jesus sat down on the right hand side of the Father in heaven because his work was done. His work was complete. The sins of the world have been paid for and all that was remaining was for mankind to realize their need for a Savior and to call on his name, to recognize him as Jehovah God and to ask him to apply the payment of his blood for their sins. Why did he do this? Well, the answer is simple. God loves us. And because God loves us, Jesus died for us. Look at what it says in John 3, verse 16 and 17. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You say, okay, that tells us what Jesus did and how he did it, but why? Why is it so urgent that man receive Christ as their Savior? Well, the answer is found in our first verses this morning, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. Look at what it says in verse 27. It says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Did you see what it said in verse 27? And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Here's the fact of life. Death comes to every person. No one knows when, but your appointment for death has been made. Do you realize that you might walk by the place where your body will be found every single day? There is a place where you will die. There is a time when you will die, and no one knows that place yet. But rest assured, death will come for each and every one of us. And after death, it's not purgatory, like the Catholics believe. It's not soul sleep, like some religions believe. It's not reincarnation, where we come back as another person, as some religions believe. It's not emptiness. No, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that when we die, after that comes the judgment. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And the judgment is not about your works, how many of the laws you kept. It's not about what church you were a member of. It's not about whether or not you've been baptized. The judgment is about what have you done with Jesus? What is your relationship with him? Was he one of many gods that you served? Was he someone who you believed was just a good man and a prophet? Or did you see him as Jehovah God? Did you see him as your only way of salvation? Your relationship with Jesus, what you have done with Jesus, will determine your eternal fate. On that judgment day, ladies and gentlemen, there'll be no pleading. There'll be no excuses. There'll be no justification. And ladies and gentlemen, on that day of judgment, there will be no mercy. Because the time for mercy was on this earth. The time for faith was before you saw that the word of God was true, and you stand in judgment before God. Look in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 23. A lot of people like to say that this passage is a parable, but I don't believe that it is. And the reason why it's not a parable is because it gives us a proper name of someone within the story. This is something that actually happened. The Bible says in verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, 
Instead, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Look at verse 23. It says, the rich man also died and was buried. And the very next words, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off and lay Lazarus in his bosom. Do you see what happened there? He died and when he opened his eyes, he was in hell. There was no purgatory. There was no soul sleep. There was no reincarnation. He died and then there was the judgment. You see, death closes the door on forgiveness. Death closes the door on redemption. Death closes the door on mercy. Once you die, your opportunity for salvation is finished because salvation comes by faith and faith is trusting without proof. Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you today, have you ever called on Jesus to save you from your sins? Not just to say, dear God, please save me from my sins, but to say, dear God, I'm tired of my sins. I'm ready to turn from my sins. I'm ready to repent of my sins, to forsake them, because I want to accept you as my Savior. Have you accepted his blood sacrifice as the only payment? Or maybe today you're trusting in your baptism to assist in your salvation. Can you see what an insult that is to God? To say that our baptism, our bloodless baptism, can assist the precious blood of Jesus Christ? Can you see Jesus there? His beard is torn out of his face. The marks from the crown of thorns is still in his head. He has that hole in his side where the soldier thrust the spear up into his heart. The holes in his hands, the holes in his feet are there. And Jesus is carrying a basin full of blood. He's wearing a white robe. He walks into that true tabernacle in heaven. He goes into the Holy of Holies. He dips his hand into the basin and it becomes bloody. And he takes that blood and he sprinkles it there on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. That is the sacrifice for the sins of the world. How does your baptism measure up to the blood in that basin? How do your good works measure up to that perfect sinless blood? How does your church membership compare to the blood of Jesus Christ? It doesn't. His blood sacrifice is the only thing that can save us. Have you called on Jesus to save you from your sins? Are you to the point where you're ready to give up your sins? Where you're ready to make a change, to forsake them, and to live a godly life, serving God with what he's given you? Or are you still caught up in your sins today? Are you still trusting in your good works or your church membership? Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one way of salvation. And Jesus made that way possible when he offered his blood as a sacrifice in heaven years ago. Have you called on his name? Have you forsaken your sins? Have you taken that step to receive salvation? I plead with you today. Call on his name.
That was Bona Judah uh, singing, and she was accompanied by her late father on the piano. Uh, the title of that song was Stirred But Not Changed. I hope that you'll take the words to heart. I hope that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to change you. I hope, dear Christian friend, that today you will make sure that heaven is your home and that your salvation is genuine. The second clue for today is the word red. The second clue is the word red. Uh, please text me your name and the first clue which was in the Bible study and the second clue which is red. And if you are one of the first two people to text that to me, then you will earn yourself a chocolate bar. Thank you very much for being with us during our sermon this morning. I'll be praying for you this week. And if there's anything that I can do for you this week, please phone me, let me know. Send me a text message, and I'll be happy to talk to you or to pray with you or to assist you if I can. Lord bless you, and you are dismissed.